I'm Nikki. And I'm Kirtana. And you're listening to The Chat Room. So Kirtan, I have a question for you. Let's hear it. What does listening to Purna Jagannathan's voice feel like to you? Because to me, it feels like I'm being swaddled by a fleece blanket. It's a great question. It feels like I'm eating a hot bowl of soup after a long day being out in the rain. That's a really weird thing to say, but I kind of understand what you're saying. (laughs) It's accurate and it's real. (laughs) Also, as someone who isn't religious, I feel like her voice makes me feel like I got saved. Or like I'm hearing the Beatles for the first time. Oh, how I imagine I'll feel once quarantine is finally over. It doesn't get much better than that. It really doesn't. Guys, thanks for tuning in. We have Porna Jagannathan today. She currently appears in Mindy Kaling and Lang Fisher's new series, Never Have I Ever, now streaming on Netflix. She also is an outspoken advocate against gender discrimination and violence and just like the most empowering human being to talk to. Absolutely. And on a serious note, guys, this episode does feature a trigger warning as we do touch on sensitive topics like sexual violence. But we also got a chance to delve into Porna's life before acting and her short but iconic time in Bollywood. Also her opinion on Chris Evans, which you'll really want to hear. So take a listen. Clearly, we're obsessed with her. Sincerely, Joe Goldberg. (laughs) (laughs) Porna, we're so happy to talk to you today. I'm so happy to be spoken to, frankly. <laughs> How did you, you know, get into the industry? Were, was acting always part of the plan? Did you have your family support? What was the, the moment of breaking into the acting world? I always wanted to explore being an actor. I feel like I've always had it in the back of my mind and a lot of the decisions I made was that so that one day I could become an actor. So uh, I had some friends who were in advertising and also did a lot of theater. So I, it just seemed like advertising was a very creative industry, but you could still make a career out of it and your parents wouldn't flip out. And I did that. You know, I, I did that for many, many, many years. And I slowly, within my years in advertising, tried to take acting classes but it was it was always you know every decision I made and every decision I lived out always had space for a plan B. But it wasn't mm-hmm. until I was thirty that I decided to be, become an actor. I was working in advertising at that point for a long time, and things were going really well. I, I liked what I was doing, but I also was turning thirty, and I and I thought it's now or never. And since I didn't even know what it meant to be an actor or how to become an actor, I decided to go back to school. And so I applied at a ton of uh, of places and eventually got accepted uh, into a master's at the Actors Studio. And that was 2001, like a couple of days before September 11th. So, oh, wow. Yeah. Fantastic. It was fantastic. (laughs) Good time. Well, you kind of did the thing, right? Because advertising is like what? To Brown Parents MBA adjacent. So you're kind of checking the box for them. (laughs) I'm totally checking the box. There was no There was no complaints. There were no complaints. And, you know, I was making a living. Mm-hmm. Well, what was the shift like when when you actually made the shift just with your parents or family? I didn't tell them. I didn't. Oh, really? Yeah. That seems to be yeah. the trend. <laughs> yeah. Is it? Well, I mean, you know, they, 
it was, it's, it's, yeah, I didn't tell them. I was trying to think on how to couch, on how to couch it. And it's not that they didn't know uh, what I was doing, but they always just had the comfort of knowing that it wasn't my first thing. It wasn't my first career. And even when I was in acting school, I launched my own um, brand consulting company. So I raised no red flags at all. And it was also, you know, it's part of my philosophy, which is like, you just do it. And then if things work out, it's, you know. It's cherry if it works out. Totally, totally cherry <laughs> on the top. But also, if you do tell people, you know, I think, you know, being a parent myself, you tend to come from a place of uh, wanting stability and you're fearful of choices that are different from the ones you made. So they don't mean to be, but they were, you know, I, I, I would uh, assume that my entire family would have been very, very discouraging if I had said something. And it was only when I got cast, it wasn't even when I got cast in like TV shows here, it was only when I got cast in an American production that she was like, wait, 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 sorry, what are you doing? Like, sure. <laughs> that, that was when it was like, oh, okay, now I get it. <laughs> now it's interesting because Amir is, you know, like such a god. Right, right, yeah. Did your career in advertising, do you think, impact how you approached acting or did it influence the, the roles you took? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's complete coincidence where I landed up in advertising, but I landed up in, in a department called consumer research. Consumer research is actually you go and you speak to people about their behaviors and why they do stuff. I did something called ethnographies a lot, which is you go into hmm. their homes and you like look in their cupboards, you look under their sink, you just you just look at their lives and you look at what they're saying versus their behavior. So you know, I still till today have have a lot of like we used to tape a lot of our sessions, and I just remember always taking note of what people were doing and saying and just a little behavior. So for sure, I, th I think my career in advertising, what I learned in advertising always informed and helped inform. And I was, I was watching in a way that was different from other people for sure. It also, I mean, I remember being so grateful to my advertising career when I became a producer, like I could write really easily and I could, you know, write a pitch deck and just this, all, all those skills where you're, you know, you just, you just accumulate by being in a business environment was very, very helpful during that time when I had to fundraise. That career of looking through people's cupboards like makes me feel like that's something my mom would really like to do <laughs> at a professional level and also to me to see if the behavior's lining up with what's in Nikki's cupboard. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Does it come with judgment afterward? Because I think there's a lot of parents and a lot of family members in my family at least that would love to do that as long as there's judgment that's that's required afterward. Oh, judgment is always is, 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 is the it's in our DNA. We love to do it. We love it. <laughs> you know, as, as someone who's been who's been working in the industry for a little while, how have you seen things evolve? Um, have you seen mostly a positive uh, evolution in how things are going, whether it's through representation, gender? Have there been some negative aspects as well? Yeah, and I think you're really well poised to answer that as well, you know? We, we started off in very, you know, and I'll speak to South Asian women because South Asian men have had a very different trajectory. Mm -hmm. Similar, but, you know, different because they have that whole terrorist situation going on, which is very, very uh, demeaning and it's incredibly frustrating for South Asian men. 
But for South Asian women, first of all, nothing was written for us. So, you know, when doctor shows were just the staple, you'd, you'd very rarely see a main part written for a South Asian, although the hospitals always had South Asian doctors. So the TV shows didn't ever reflect the reality. The environment was totally devoid of, of what actually happens, where very little Latino or South Asian representation and so as the roles slowly, you know, started getting written in and as people started getting a little more open, South Asian roles were getting, you know, were, 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 it was very, very small parts as in, you know, the role of the nurse or the role of you know, a tiny sliver of, of a doctor's role or something like that. But it was very, very, it was stereotypical. And I feel like it was very rare to come across a character whose ethnicity didn't inform what they did or who they were. I remember my first largish gig was a guest star on Law and & Order, and it was the first time that I was playing a character that could have been any ethnicity, and that was, that was literally the first time I've ever encountered it, and I think that was 2003 or 2004. But then, you know, the roles were very few and far between. And I think that has shifted quite a bit. The characters now being written have a lot of a lot more flesh on them. They're not cardboard cutouts of characters. They, you know, I always talk about this whole model minority thing, which is South Asians are 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 cast as model minorities. They're seen as or they show up and are represented as people who are very, very put together, who seem to have all the answers, who are who are just on top of it in, in every way, even, no matter how small or big the roles are. They're, they're, you know, it's the other characters who tend to be much more complex. It's the other characters that have that tend to get to explore their flaws and sexualities and, and stuff, and, and we're not. So I think that's shifting just a tad bit with the roles that are created. But, you know, it's, it's a, a lot of the really juicy South Asian roles are beginning to be created by South Asians. The pipeline is really South Asian actors being in writers' rooms that count. So like never have I ever, you know, there's an opportunity for a 15-year-old girl character. That opportunity would, you know, as a lead, uh, and Mindy had to come along to, to make that happen. It didn't exist before. No one's handing anyone, no matter how talented you are, no one's handing you jack shit unless you make it for yourself, right? And that's, that's mm-hmm. a hard burden. Do you feel like when you work with women or people of color, that's when you're seeing the most meat on the characters that you're either being offered or that you're that you're going in for and, and, and getting? I got to tell you that both Cher and The Night Of were not written by women of color and um, mm. they were hugely gratifying. So not necessarily, again, I think that's the shift. And Cher wasn't looking for an Indian woman. It was very, very open casting, and it's probably the most open casting role that I've ever, ever inhabited. So I think, you know, I think casting directors, Cher was cast by A.B. Kaufman, and there, there's always been a handful of casting directors who, who really are great at championing people of color and making sure right. they get in the room and making sure that if they are good and they may not have a lot of credits that... that casting director is still fighting for you. 
So well, I'm um, happy you mentioned this concept of open casting because I think so many people, especially in the industry, often conflate you know representation with something needing to be as ethnic as possible. Like it's not; it's just about having a part that is meaningful. For sure, and sometimes when you play South Asian parts, it is even more meaningful. You know, I'm so honored to have played a part in the night of and been able to tell a story that intertwined being South Asian and what it means to be South Asian and what Islamophobia looks like. I'm so honored to be on Never Have I Ever to play a South Asian mom in the in the most unstereotypical way possible with a lot of comedy. I mean, it's it's so special for me to play South Asians. It's really unspecial for me to play a stereotype version of a South Asian. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. So I, you know, I will still get plenty of scripts where the South Asian character that I'm up for is not fleshed out in any way. And even, you know, you'll, you'll notice that especially for South Asian women, if it's written by a man, the the figure of the woman is not well written or, or is a sidelined character. Personally speaking, we need a lot more South Asian women in the room. Absolutely. Yeah. You were able to be in two very awesome <laughs> uh, Bollywood movies as well in, in your career. Um, Jelly Belly being one and Yejivani Hedivani being another. <laughs> the film of our generation. The film of our generation. Oh my God, so funny. I mean, you are, you are honestly one of the coolest portrayals of like NRI women in Bollywood movies, like oh, in that I love movie, you. totally. I love you. I love you. No, a hundred percent. It's it's the most like the most realistic and natural version of it. You know, like there's yeah. always. I feel like when I see it in Bollywood movies, or I'm South Indian, so like in Telugu movies, I think we all. Oh my god. South Indian. Yeah, we're all South Indian. <laughs> we're all South Indian. <laughs> but yeah, like in South Indian movies, like when I'm watching a Telugu movie and they'll have NRI people, I'm like, you guys are so not real. Like this is not how we act. So it's nice when there's actually someone who's in the in the role and actually is that. Hilarious. Loved my time in Bollywood. Like like looking back on it, it was it was fun. Doing it, like when I was doing it was it was pretty hard I mean I was 40 when I moved to India to do Bollywood and you know it's literally changing excuse me what you're 40 in that movie in which you look I must have been 41 or 42 by then yeah shut up are you kidding me no if you look like that at 42 I am screwed (laughs) oh my god (laughs) No, I was de- definitely in my hundred percent in my forties by then. I just oh my lord! I'm just gonna cry in this closet. Oh my god! Are you <laughs> But you know, there was the there was the the unabashed ageism. Like they don't even hide it. Oh yeah, um, you know, and they didn't know what to do with me at all. At that time, they had no idea. And I had moved to India because Delhi Belly came out. Not only had Delhi Belly come out, I loved Delhi Belly. It's still one of my favorite movies. And I just felt it heralded a new wave in cinema. 100%. And, 
And I, you know, I was contrasting it to the career trajectory I was on here, which was the South Asian nurse, South Asian doctor, South Asian, you know, that, that thing. And I was, you know, even, even then I was already, I mean, I'm always so grateful and, and Kirtana will know my, my, my battle with it. But now I'm like, I only want to play doctors. Like I, I cry every time I see a doctor. That's all I want to do now. Um, <laughs> but, you know, yeah, I guess I, 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 I lost sight of how in deep service doctors are and nurses are. I, I lost sight of it, you know, and, and, now, and now I'm like, should I, I, I should never say that again. But I could see that my career trajectory here, which is a lot of similar roles, which I'm so grateful for and kept me afloat and I loved, but it was more of the same thing. And suddenly there, I thought it, there would be a floodgate of totally different types of roles I could explore in Bollywood. And my husband Azad has always wanted to live, you know, he grew up in India. We always want to go back and live in India. And my son was young enough so that we could make the transition <laughs> As soon as I got there, it was a total clusterfuck. One, <laughs> one is the age. Like, they were like, I'm, I'm sorry, and, and had a child and a family. Like the whole, you know. The nerve. Oh, the nerve oh, of you to try to nerve. ask. What, why are we having this conversation? <laughs> and then there were a couple of times when I got scripts that I really liked. No red flag would go off. I was like, oh, my God, this writing is really good. And yeah, let's pursue it and have conversations about casting and yes, 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 and all that stuff. And, you know, at some point you'd realize it was a plagiarized script at, at, at some point. Oh, wow. Down the line, a couple months down the line. Plagiarized and, you know, and the rights weren't asked for. There was a script that I got, which was excellent. It was excellent. It was just epic and excellent and dark and written by this woman and oh my god it was so good and I was so excited and she had just changed the names and the script was Donnie Brasco she had ju- literally just uh, the names. <laughs> it was not great and I really I you know at some point I was like okay I am I'm not gonna say yes to a project that I don't love because you know it's hard to shoot a movie in India it is. It's, just, it's, it's hard to shoot a movie anywhere. I have to be away from my family and hours are crazy. But specifically, I, I, I still don't want to do work that I don't love. And that was very true for me in India. So I opted out of, of the industry, even though I still live there. And mm. I opted back in to the state. So I would be doing projects here, but, but living in India, which was fantastic it's a great I highly recommend that commute you know at some point uh, we started nearby in early 2013 and I was very very consumed with that for three years for the rest of my time in India I, I was just consumed with that and so Bollywood was a motherfucker but it was also a great experience it was a great experience for me you know, the great thing about living in India is like you get your you, you get these massive life lessons in, in, in very in, in a very quick form. So, yeah, I learned a lot. And, you know, with the explosion of Netflix and Amazon out there, I can only now uh, imagine going back and doing something. But before that door was I, I totally closed that door. Well, I'm glad you brought up nearby up. You know, we, we know, obviously, what the event was that tri- transpired, unfortunately, that that inspired it. But where did the 
where did the idea to to create this show where did that all come from and was there any way that you used your your acting background and whatever recognition that you had gained in order to create the show was was there any positives there that that worked in your favor yeah I mean you know Ranbir Kapoor was the first person who invested in the play and it really helped uh, to get it started he funded most of the workshop of it I'm so thankful for being in India at that time because you know, I think if, I, if that event had happened, if Jyoti Singh Pandey's uh, rape and death had happened and I was living in, in the States, it would have affected me greatly, but I wouldn't have seen the energy and felt the energy that was on the streets in India as soon as it happened. Like everyone was poured out of their houses to protest it and there was a sense of anger which is you know I, I I can't describe how much as an Indian woman I embrace anger because it's 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 yeah it's it's forbidden not forbidden I can't describe it it's just it's not a mode of being you know that that goddess Kali I don't know what your relationship with it was but it was like you know all the other goddesses were awesome well Saraswati was so cool but that Kali was such an enigma in our house no one could figure her out, and and I, I, for the first time, I think there was collective rage, and I don't think I would have tapped into it if I was living here. Does that make sense? I just, oh yeah, I, I, I was, I was so angry. I was so, um, I was, I was literally seeing red, um, as all of us were, and I think that was what gave birth to the play we're so bound in a culture of silence and because of our rage, it, the silence just evaporated. And when journalists were covering it, they weren't covering the incidents. They would, you know, the first paragraph would talk about their own experiences with violence and sexual violence and even male journalists. Everyone was in it in a first person perspective because sexual violence is so common and it's so such an epidemic and it's so pervasive and everyone's had some sort of brush not only in india it's pretty much all over the world but i had a deep connection to the material i was raped at nine and hadn't spoken about it but only to friends and to my husband and it was really really under wraps and it was the, the knowledge that my uh, silence during this time and my society's silence around it kind of makes it possible for violence to continue. And so I had really wanted to break my silence as other people were doing around me. There's such a perception of who is a survivor and who isn't. Uh, it's, it's a right. really deep-seated perception. And, and, you know, it just happens to someone else. And so I, I definitely wanted to do a play to show what a survivor looks like. And, but not only that, to contextualize it in the culture of violence and rape that we live in. So I invited the, uh, the playwright, Yael Farber. I had seen her work many years before in New York. She, you know, she's an amazing director, but one of her fortes is testimonial theater, mm-hmm. where the actors themselves are telling their own stories. It just, you know, there was there was a, a, a frequency in the theater that I'd never felt before because I didn't know if the stories were their own or not, but it wasn't like any theatrical experience I'd ever seen. So I'd invited her down and then we workshopped it with a couple of uh, actresses who were generous, very generous to give us their time. And then at the end of that workshop, Yael decided that she wanted to work with 
uh, survivors, only survivors. And so we put out a casting call. We really tried to balance the cast out. So uh, I and Priyanka both spoke about our rapes as like, it's based in childhood. And then we had uh, Rukshar speak about marital rape, which is still not illegal. We had Sapna talk about a gang rape, her gang rape in Chicago. And she was replaced by Pamela, who talked about the rape in Montreal. We had Sneha, who was a dowry bride, and her husband tried to set her on fire to get more money. Oh, my Lord. And she survived that. And so we, we had her to talk about what, it, what does gender discrimination look like. It was five women on stage telling their own stories of, of sexual assault and rape, but it was all contextualized within what it feels like to grow up as a woman to be a woman in India, which is you, you become so numb to sexual violence because you don't even think it's a big deal. Yeah. There's something that goes down uh, all the time. So, you know, when we toured yeah. the play all over the world and we toured it in India and it was, it was received with the urgency that the Me Too movement was received with, right? Like at, at last there's, there's an opening at last I can tell my story at last I can find my story within these women's stories so no matter where we were in London, Edinburgh, and Dublin, and Toronto. I was very privileged to see it. Um, it's, it's so powerful and visceral and, and real, which is why it hits you so hard. It's just so real right. and honest, you know. Because you were saying these things with such, such fire and vigor, and you know, it's, it's nice to hear that it was, it was received with urgency. Did you, did you worry about there being any kind of backlash? Did you actually face any negative scrutiny about it? We really, we were so lucky not to uh, get any backlash. And it doesn't mean that we weren't scared it was coming. Before the India tour, we were, all of us were like, there, there might be some legit death threats happening or, or not only from the people wow. that we were talking about, but people who just didn't want to hear you know, that's a whole, India is like super patriotic, man. Super patriotic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also ignorance is bliss. You pretend there's no problem, then there's no problem. Yep. Yeah, totally. And, and there's this whole faction of people, like you can't say anything bad about India. Like there's that whole ideology. So, you know, it was really important in, in every production that we not only had a story, all, all four stories were based in India. There was always that one story that was based outside India, just to make sure that people understood that this was not an India problem at all, and that we could contextualize it globally as well. But right. none of that happened. It was really, really uh, received in the, in the pure way that it was intended, that it was created it was it was a, a deep, deep connection for all of us as human beings, as survivors, as actors. It, it happened well before the Me Too movement, and carries the just carries the truth about being a woman in today's society, and carries the truth about being a survivor and what that looks like. And you know, all of us are from such different backgrounds, and all of our stories of sexual assault are so wildly different. And it, it just kind of changed people's perceptions all over the world. A hundred percent. I feel like especially the way young women, and you kind of touched on this, how we're raised is when you have these problems, they're not real problems. Like those are things that you can suck up and deal with. When you do these kind of performance art pieces, they're so powerful to show us that there is strength in numbers and you're not the only one going through it. When I was uh, working at the agency, I 
you know, had to deal with a lot of workplace harassment, which was not obviously fun, but that's something you suck up because you think it's part of it. But when the Me Too movement came out, I felt so empowered to now, you know, embrace my story and tell people it's not okay, as opposed to before feeling so shameful. I was almost carrying around this dirty secret with me that I I felt like was almost my fault, but it's never our fault. Yeah, that's the craziest thing. How did this even happen? How did it, how, how, how are we the ones left carrying the shame? Like I, I, uh, what, like what happened? What's the mechanism that, that made that happen? And you know, it lets perpetrators just go scot-free. The moment that a person comes forward with their stories and you immediately, the response you get back is, oh, but why didn't you do this? And why didn't you do that? And why didn't you do this? Is your perception of what they should have done. You have no idea. You can't, you can't be put in someone else's shoes. So, you know, that was one of the things that when I saw Nirbaya, for example, it was really refreshing to see people talk about their experiences and say like, this is how I dealt with it. And it was different than how this person dealt with it. Yeah. Where sexual assault intersects in your life, there's a very clear before and after. And I, and I really appreciated that Nirbhaya could illustrate that, you know, who you are before the sexual assault and, you know, what, what, what you look like and what you yearn for. And I still kind of just love that aspect of the play. Well, thank you for, for making it exist and facilitating it. As we wrap up, I do want to end on a lighter note and, and talk more about the two very exciting projects you have coming out, uh, Never Have I Ever on Netflix and Defending Jacob on Apple+. Plus. You know, what was it like to be on Never Have I Ever where, I mean, even down to the writer's room, the creative, I mean, on and off the screen, there was just so much South Asian representation. It was unlike anything I have ever experienced in my life. First of all, it shot in Los Angeles, and it's the first time I've ever shot anything locally. The ability to do something and come home, come back to your family and eat dinner and sleep in your own bed. That was such a, a breakthrough for me. I, I, I don't want to work anywhere except Los Angeles now. But also just to be on a set where your input was part of every decision and every process, you know, like in the kitchen what do the spices look like how do you cook how do you you know we 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 peel stuff in a very particular way so real you know or like i just remember like there there, there's just stuff that we do or the altar what does the altar look like you know i just remember in like for example the night of we were sitting down for a family meal but you know we were, were a very lower middle class family and yet there was cutlery on the table you know, the the thing is we eat with our hands, right? Mm-hmm. And so I was gonna say what cutlery? <laughs> what is cutlery? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, you know, stuff like that. And I remember that so distinctly because I remember having input into that scene, right? But that was the case in almost every scene on Never Have I Ever. All of us had input into how a scene is structured and what the set should look like and what the props look like and what would she carry. And we were so empowered on set because right. you know this world it is your world it was so great and you know mindy is delightful i couldn't love her more and she's so funny and lang is you know she's she i would have lang and make lang give me line readings all the time <laughs> it was my first time doing comedy and it was hard for me to understand the musicality of it so Lang would always, like, I love being on set with Lang. And, and the the writers are all so 
gifted. Uh, there, first of all, there were so many South Asian writers. It was kind of amazing. But they're also gifted. They kept giving alternate lines, like one after the other, after the other, each funnier than the next. I'm, I'm so proud. And I've seen the show and I, I couldn't be more gobsmacked or enthralled with uh, the lead, my three Ramakrishnan. Like, she's unbelievable and so grounded and so funny. And, you know, it is, it is such an amazing platform for us, especially the last episode. It's one of my favorite things ever. It's one of my favorite experiences, one of my favorite shows. Well, and I'm just excited that there's South Indians as oh series my. regulars I on know, the show. Same, seriously. And I'm speaking Tamil. That's I amazing. Love I love I that. I know, I know. <laughs> Dosas and, you know, the, the, the whole thing is in there. We're, you know, in, in temples and we're, oh, it's, it's, it was deeply satisfying to do it. And then my other show is Defending Jacob, where, which is so great. Chris Evans couldn't be hotter. It, it just couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> that's, the te- that's the teaser caption for this podcast episode. Porna Jagannathan, quote, Chris Evans could not be hotter. <laughs> couldn't. Like, I'm so not into that look at all. I'm just not into it. <laughs> and then suddenly I'm like, oh my God. God, <laughs> and I think it's because he's such a good actor. Him and M- Michelle is oh, she's extraordinary. I mean, you know, Jaden, who's the kid. I, I just look at what my three is doing and what Jaden are doing, what these kids are doing, and I, you, you know, you're born with it. Sometimes you're just born with it. I just study really hard to figure out how to act. These damn kids. <laughs> these damn kids, man. <laughs> Well, and and defending Jacob also has Sakina Jeffrey, so that's really exciting. I unfortunately have no scenes with her. Unfortunately, no, <laughs> we weren't even in Boston on the same day. But not only does it have Sakina Jeffrey, the role was written for Sakina Jeffrey. Amazing. Um, you know, when you talk about casting and when you talk about the change that's happened, you know, that's that's what's happening. That's extraordinary. That wouldn't that wouldn't have happened ten years ago. That never happens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's also, I mean, it's also a testament that there are that you have, you know, you, you're a recurring guest star. She's a series regular on the show, and that there's two South Asian oh, totally. women on the show. Totally. I mean, that so was the crazy part about Never Have I Ever. You know, not only was Never Have I Ever have had a South Asian cast, it was led by a South Asian that set the tone. It was it was very different. I mean, I I felt it on Rami as well. I can't I can't put it into words, but when I was on Rami, the fact that there was a person of color, there was a brown person at the helm, and just allowed much more um, you to inhabit the role uh, in a bigger way. Yeah, I think you just took up more space. You were I felt like I could take up more space, be it on Ever Have I Ever or. From me, which I which I never felt on um, the night of, you know, it was beautiful, but it it, it definitely didn't feel like our show. And even though I was just right. a star on Rami, like I actually think it's holding my show. So you know, it's that's the environment. It's just an environment you create that gives the actor yeah. power and freedom, and they're they're totally relaxed and they feel like it's their world. So so, what kind of advice would you give young girls who? who want to do this, but they don't know how, or they don't know if they can. Always stay learning, always stay honing your craft, be in class so that when you, you know, when the op, you, 
I, I heard this a long time ago, which is you practice, 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 and then you get lucky. I studied at a place called the Barrow Group, which I would highly recommend. They are so rigorous in their acting, but what, what I have found very valuable is script analysis. So how do you look at a script and how do you figure it out? Just, you know, find a great teacher, find a great class, and um, do as many showcases as possible. Uh, put yourself on tape, throw your hat in the ring. You just have to be totally ready. Thank you so much for, for talking to us and, and taking time to... Oh my God, thank you for taking time. Are you kidding? Thanks for listening to me blabber for so long. It's never a blabber for us. We really appreciate it and, and everything that you're doing, not just in acting, but you know, with, with gender violence, domestic violence, all of that is, is it's so important. So it's really nice to hear South Asian voices really speaking on that. Thank you guys. Really, really always. Well, thank you. Stay you. safe. Thank you. You too. I'll talk to you soon. The chat room is hosted by me, Nikita Manon, and me, Kirtana Sastry, in partnership with Brown Girl Magazine. Consulting producers are Pallavi Sastry and Nihar Sinha. All podcast artwork is created by Ashwarya Sukesh, and opening music is by Sridhar Bhamani Pandey. Special thanks to Trisha Sukujawalia. Please subscribe to The Chat Room on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening right now. Thanks for tuning in.